Hello, and welcome to episode 50 of Desi Books, news and views about Desi literature from the world over. I'm your host, Jenny Bart. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, in the Desi Craft Chat segment, we have Venkata Raghavan Srinivasan, or Venkat, as I will be calling him, discussing his book, The Origin Story of India's States. In this conversation, we talked about the genesis of the book, how he approached the required research, why writing this book changed him as a writer, and what he'd like readers to take away from it, and a lot more. Venkat is a writer, actor, and strategy consultant from Bengaluru, South India. The Origin Story of India States is his first non-fiction book. His short fiction has appeared in the Iowa Review, and his children's books have been published by Pratham Books in India. He is an alumnus of the Helter Skelter Writing Residency 2021 and the Pukth Writers' Workshop 2019. He also acts on stage and screen and narrates audiobooks. The story of the birth of India states is the story of the birth and continuing rebirth of India as a nation. It is a story that everyone in India and across the global diaspora should know. This rigorously researched book lays out the fascinating political and historical circumstances of the birth of India's states and union territories. As Venkat writes in his introduction and says in this interview, we often think of August 15, 1947, as the date when India was formed. Um, that was when India got their independence from the British and the partition of India and Pakistan happened. But that was only the date when the first process of India's formation began. As the book describes, there have been several other formation processes and India is still very much in a formation process even now. On a personal note, despite having gone to high school and grown up in India, I learned a lot from Venkat's book that wasn't in our history textbooks growing up. And he's written it in an accessible manner so that it can be read by people across a wide age range. In fact, I intend to give the book as gifts um, to my nieces and nephews who were all born in the US and only know India as a tourist destination that they get to visit during school holidays. Enjoy this chat. Here's Venkat now. Hi, Venkat. Welcome to Desi Books, and thank you for coming on to talk about your latest book, which is The Origin Story of India's States. 
Hi, Jenny. Thank you for having me here. It's, I'm very pleased to be here. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad to have you because, you know, I, I actually didn't, to be quite honest, this book, suddenly it hadn't quite made it on my radar. And, and then, you know, here it is, you know, it's already, it's out, it's going to be out in the world today. So congratulations on that. Yes, thank you so much. It actually released uh, today, both the physical copies and the Kindle copies. So mm. anywhere in the world, wherever you are, you can get a oh, Kindle copy excellent. and read it now. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so we'll make sure we mention that to everyone. I'll link, I'll link it, link to it, um, to the buy pages and everything. So let me start, if if we can. You know, my usual question that I always start with um, writers is about the genesis of the book, because usually, you know, books are multi-year projects. And so, what made you decide you were going to commit a few years of your life? to writing about the origin stories of India states? Well, um, I've, always, I've always liked maps. Um, my, I've, I've enjoyed the maps that they gave us in school. And in fact, my favorite map used to be the political map of India, where each state was demarcated because you got to color in all the states. Um, so I enjoyed that, doing that a lot. And over the course of my life, I've just enjoyed looking at maps, um, trying to understand them. Um, they all, they tell you different stories and different things. And so I've, I've looked at the Indian map numerous times, and I've always wondered about why our states are shaped the, the way they are, because there are funny shapes in our states. Um, if you look at Karnataka or Maharashtra, Madhya Pradesh, they, they don't have very boxy shapes like in the United States. Um, and so I, I just basically wanted to understand why our states look the way they did. And I started um, sort of diving into the story and it just opened up this whole, this, this box of incredible stories as to how each state came to be the way it is today. Um, and in fact, all the states don't, uh, haven't always looked the way they do today. They've gone through multiple changes. They've gone through so many different things uh, in their history. Um, so that was really the starting point to understand why our states look the way they did. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's how the book came about. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I hear you on that about how you know the maps uh, have evolved because even through the time that I was in high school in India and then you know growing up and then um, now even during my lifetime, I think the maps have changed for certain states. Um, so yeah, definitely. And, and I know, you know, my, my parents' generation, as I'm sure your parents' generation, have stories about their particular states, right? Like in my case, Gujarat and Maharashtra. Mm -hmm. You know, my parents have a lot of stories about how it was Bombay state and then that changed and yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, well, and what's fascinating is like you said, you know, there's each, state um there's there's so much history behind how it evolved i mean i think that as i was reading your book i felt like each chapter could be a book on its own you know there was so much you know <laughs> yeah yeah well but actually the, there have been um in fact most of the work on the states of india typically tend to be books about one or two states or a cluster of states um simply because there's just so much to um, write about in each of those states that there are individual books talking about individual states and that helped a lot 
Yeah, I did see that. And I, I'm, I'm going to come to the research part because I saw your, um, you know, bibliography at the end, which is extensive. So, but, but I also take your point, you know, yes, there are individual books, but I think having <clears throat> like one book as a reference, you know, a handy reference to go to for all of them is, is this is the first book that I know of anyways, that that's done that. So that's great. Um, tell us about the epigraphs because they're quite interesting. And I'm, I'm always curious about, you know, what, because I, I, I've done some epigraphs too with my books and I, I'm always curious about, you know, where they came from. So maybe you could maybe even read them out because they're short enough. So if you could tell us a bit about them. Are you talking about the one where I, where I thank all the people who've written about India before me? Right no, I mean, the, I think you've got, you've got, you know, at the very, let me get to the beginning, hold on. At the very beginning, You've got these two quotes. I'm trying to think who oh, they were. Those two. Yes. Yeah, those, uh, let me see. Yeah, the, the Dr. Ambedkar and then the, the one that was a white paper. So tell us a bit about yes. both of those. Well, um, the Dr. Ambedkar quote is, um, is used a lot and it's, it's often paraphrased. Um, it's often paraphrased as saying um, India is an indestructible union of destructible states. That's usually what it's given as in a lot of sources. Um, the thing is he never said it in exactly that way. He just talked about how the union is indestructible um, because of the way uh, it's made. The constitution, the way it was written ensured that the states were destructible, could be changed, the borders could be changed, you could merge states, you could split states. But um, once a state has joined India, it can never secede. Um, so in that sense, the country, the union, the federation is indestructible. Um, and it just, it just stood out because we're talking about um, states that are actually very fluid. The existence of a state is very fluid in the country. Um, even in the last decade, we've had Andhra and Telangana um, coming into existence as separate states. Um, two years ago, we had Jammu and Kashmir and Ladakh coming into existence as two union territories. So it's still an ongoing process. It's always alive. Um, and I think that that alive nature of states, um, when, when you put it into this, this indestructible form of the union that we live in, um, that, that quote really just made a lot of sense to me. Um, the other one is from the white paper um, that was, it's actually the first white paper that was put out in 1950 about the states of India. And um, it, it was a fantastic quote. I mean, just uh, what has been achieved so far is already miraculous. It's already remarkable. And um, the first three years of our independence from 47 to 50, um, which is the time period also from independence to um, our Republic Day, becoming a Republic, those three years were phenomenal. And um, so even though my book is currently the only one that I know of that talks about all of the um, states, there was VP Menon's book from 1950 or 55, where he details out the process of these three years of bringing in, of basically integrating the country. Um, and that's a whole other read. It's a fantastic source and I highly recommend it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how the two quotes, I chose those two quotes to put in, in the epigraph. 
Yeah, I, and the VP Menon thing you mentioned, yeah, I mean, I, I saw the reference multiple times throughout your book, you know, in terms of what, both in footnotes and in the bibliography. So um, I, I can see that it was an important um, resource. But yeah, that, that to your point like about, it, sorry? Sorry, it's it's like how we talk about um, Sardar Patel as, as the person who integrated the country, the Ironman of India and stuff. Um, I actually think VP Menon did a lot of the hard work of executing all of that. The actual job of binding the country together was VP Menon. Um, and there's actually a biography out on him um, written by his great granddaughter, which uh, details out his life, his story really well, because not too many people know about VP Menon and the work that he did. Yeah, I and I have, uh, I know of that one. Is it, I forget the name of the writer, Narayani Basu, is it? Not any possible, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do, I do remember seeing that uh, the biography being out. I haven't read it. I need to get it. Um, okay. Well, yeah. Thanks for that. Now, talk a bit. So, so you decided, as you said, you know, the, the genesis of the book. You shared that, and then um, talk about a little bit about the book's publication journey. Did you have to, you know, work hard to convince your publisher? Did they jump at the idea? How did you go about that? Well, actually, um, I'd written the opening chapter, which was Andhra Pradesh, and I had a pitch um, document in place. Um, I had a friend who had recently published a book with Penguin. So I just reached out to her and I asked her to put me in touch with her editor. I sent out the pitch document and um, then I didn't hear back for about two or three months. And then the pandemic came in. The pandemic struck and then I heard back from Penguin saying well we've got time now to sit down and read all the pitches um, and we really like your pitch so we'd like to take this forward so yeah it was the pandemic helped and um, they they sort of just, just jumped at the idea really speaking. Huh, that's, that's kind of an interesting story because you know most authors at least, you know, those who had books out during the pandemic, they certainly didn't feel that it helped them too much. Um, but yeah, that's interesting to that publishers had time to sit down and go through their email boxes, which is great. I'm glad that happened. Um, it's, an, it's kind of an unusual story in that sense. Okay, well, let me let me come to um, the research process, because obviously, you know, before the book even starts to get written, you've obviously had to do some research. And I just want to understand, because you list um, so many amazing sources at the end of the book, some that I'm familiar with, uh, but a lot that I didn't even know about. And obviously, you went through a lot of Government of India documents. So mm -hmm. talk a little bit about how you went about, you know, finding the sources, organizing the research, because I just think that sometimes it can be very difficult for writers when you have that much mountains of um, information to go through, you can get lost in the woods a little bit. And so you do need to have some process of your own, you know, to get organized and make sure you're not kind of going down rabbit holes and, and staying on top of everything. So talk a bit about your process. Well, um, the internet is a fantastic resource. Um, a lot of these documents, academic papers, books, Government of India documents, journals, everything is available online. And um, there are a couple of uh, resources, a couple of websites like JSTOR and Academia that host all of these. And uh, again, thanks to the pandemic, JSTOR opened up its accessibility. Um, and so you could actually access 
a lot of papers for free. Um, so there was a lot of reading that I did. Um, and I had sort of given myself a week to 10 days per state I, uh, because I needed to finish the entire book in about a year. So 36 states, 28 states and eight union territories. And so I said, okay, um, I'm gonna give myself about 10 days uh, per state. I can finish this in a year then. Um, it more or less more or less held on to that timeline on, on average. Um, but it was just that my first few days were, were about diving into all the sources that I could find. Um, I actually bought a lot of books as well uh, that, uh, that would talk about individual states or clusters of states. Um, and the first few days would be diving into all the sources, trying to figure out what the narrative of that state is, because I very quickly realized that the narrative is not the same across the country. Each state has its own very distinct, very unique journey. Um, so it was just about figuring out the narrative for that state, um, putting down the main, main, uh, the key points or where the narrative is going to turn. What are the uh, important points of information I need to um, put out? And then the second half of that week or ten days was about just writing out that narrative in as engaging a manner as I could because I want this to be accessible. I want everybody to know the story of their state. So that's essentially how I split my time. Um, but the sources were all online because also I couldn't step out to any of the libraries or um, any of the archives. So, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what, you know, I was thinking about that earlier because through the pandemic, I've also been working on historical fiction and, mm -hmm. you know, it's set in medieval India, and you can imagine, you know, again, a lot of sources needed. And I'm glad you mentioned JSTOR and Academia, because those have been lifelines to me as well. <laughs> so I think, you know, any writer who's doing any work that's that needs any historical information, or even contemporary for that matter, academic or scholarly information, um, those are two terrific um, resources for sure. Uh, also, but yeah, there's and, uh, the, uh, another great resource is people. Um, I, there were there were books that I couldn't find um, on JSTOR or Academia or Google Books, previews, PDFs. I couldn't find those books. Um, so what I would do is I'd go onto Goodreads and I'd find people who had read the book and, and reviewed it. And then mm -hmm. I'd reach out to them saying, do you have a copy? Can you send me a copy? And it actually worked. People did send me copies of the, of the books that they had. Um, that is quite an amazing tip. Okay, I've never done that. I've never reached out to somebody on Goodreads who might have read the book, but that's such an excellent tip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I'm glad to hear that they reached out to you and they, I mean, they responded and, and sent you the books. Um, that's a great tip. Excellent. Now with the origin story of each state, you give us, you know, you're also, you're giving us obviously the geographic history of how it evolved in terms of its borders. And then there's the political history, right? Because there's, mm. there are major players in each case um, that, that are sometimes local and then sometimes at the central level. And so you give us a little bit of the, the I guess the play by play, you know, of what happens. Mm. And some of this stuff is some is stuff that, well, some of it was familiar to me because we get the bare bones of it when you study history and, and um, you know, geography and, and all of that in India. And of course, it's been a while since I was in high school, but some of it is familiar, but 
there was a lot that wasn't. And I found that what was interesting is that you were also, and I don't know whether this was by design, but you were also almost charting the evolution of the major political parties through the evolution of the states. At least that was one thread that I was picking up as I was going through. Like, you know, you were talking about how the BJP, you know, in the early days, how they behaved when with certain states formation um, discussions and then how things evolved with even their presence within that state, right? And uh, so there's, you know, quite a few nuggets like that and others. And, and you call some of these nuggets out at the start of every chapter, you've got a, did you know, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you've got one or two lines like Punjab shared an international border with China for nearly 20 years, which I didn't know. Um, and Gujarat, which is my home state, which had more than half of the 565 princely states of India. And even that I didn't know. I know I knew Gujarat had a lot of princely states. I didn't know that they had more than half. So tell us a bit about one or two surprises along the way as you were uncovering this all, all this history and uh, maybe one or two challenges as well. Well, like you say, we've, we've learned the bare bones of the evolution of the country post-independence. Um, but there are dominant narratives in that as well. So for instance, I always believe that this, the states had been formed on, an, on a linguistic basis, that language was the criteria. And so I went in assuming that I would have to find the language for each state. And it was amazing that language was only one of the criteria that uh, decided how states were formed. Uh, and it was mostly true in the South and maybe the West of the country. Um, but it was really identity uh, that, that drove statehood claims in a lot of places. And that identity expressed itself in, multi, in multiple ways. So you had language, but then you also had caste. You also had tribes. You had um, hill people versus plains people. Uh, so you had so many ways of creating states and so many reasons that people wanted states. And I think that was, that was the first sort of large meta surprise that I got as I jumped into this. Um, the, the tough parts was, was the, were the narratives that were not dominant in our school life or in, in our history books. Uh, so for instance, when I, when I jumped into the entire Northeast region, I realized that I didn't know anything about it. Um, none of the names were familiar. None of the people were familiar. And so it actually took me an entire month to just understand the lay of the land and who did what, how did one event lead to another event. And then only after a month of sort of understanding everything, did I start to jump in state by state and start writing each state story? Um, so that that was that was something that really showed me that I knew very little about the Northeast. Um, in terms of individual surprises, my goodness, I for one did not know that Sikkim was not a part of the country for till until 1975. I just always assumed that Sikkim was a part of the country, um, and so that was quite a surprise that it wasn't even part of India. Um, Goa's story is phenomenal. Uh, I, it's like we always know about the war to liberate Goa, but after the war, how Goa had to vote to stay independent, uh, to stay as a, as a union territory and not become a district in Maharashtra. 
like these were these were incredible twists in the tale that i did not know about at all so the the journey of researching and writing this book state by state was very enlightening also very moving um i think that was the emotional toll that it took on me was something that i wasn't prepared for because especially as you're reading about about things like partition or um how just there was so much violence or how people communities had to fight for uh, to be heard to be express their identity to be seen um it's it's quite difficult to read history and not be moved by it it's it's a very emotionally uh, heavy topic um so i think that that took me some time to get used to yeah no you know you mentioned about the northeast and i i think you're right that you know we didn't hear or read enough about the northeast like i didn't know like you said i i had no idea that sikkim was not um part of india till 1975 like you said the goa thing i think i knew a little bit about just because we had family friends and you know growing up we'd hear from them but what's what's fascinating is that you say it's it was also moving and and i'm i'm curious about that because the partition is something that so many people know about there are so many books that have been now now that there's quite a lot more books than there used to be and you know we've seen movie adaptations and so i think even people who are not indian or who haven't grown up in india are aware of the partition and what how it was you know in a, in a way equivalent to to the holocaust right the world war think, and so yeah. but but you but these these other stories in a way if you they're kind of the aftermath right and they're still playing out and we don't know that much about them so it's almost like there's this ongoing after effect of india's independence and the partition as well and we're still getting our heads around it and and so i'm i'm fascinated with with what you said about how it was moving for you as well um yeah we we um often talk about india in terms of 15th august 1947 mm. and that's the date in our heads that india was formed um that's the day we became independent and we know the story of our independence struggle we know the story of our country but like you say it's what happens after 15th august 1947 that's sort of the internal um internal stories of india we we know the external boundaries but we don't know the internal boundaries and the internal struggles um and so uh, all the aftermath of partition plays out tremendously in the way uh, punjab's demographics changed or and hence resulted in the creation of punjab and haryana or the way uh, jammu kashmir's story has played out and is still playing out um so it's yeah you're right it's um it's it the the aftermath of a lot of the events um i think 15th august 1947 is actually the start of the creation of india and it's an ongoing journey of creation um it's not the end of the formation of india it's actually the start yes it is a start and and you as you rightly say there's still a lot going on um 
you know, and uh, I want to come back to you mentioned that obviously you got the call from the publisher once the pandemic began and they said, okay, we're interested in your pitch and, you know, can you write the book? And you had a year to write it. Mostly, I mean, often writers will have maybe a year or two years to write a book. You had a year. It was also a world changing year in terms of, you know, a global pandemic. And, and I usually think writing a book is to some extent a life changing process in itself for the writer, because we're coming to so much realization about the subject matter, but also about ourselves as people because of how we're responding to that subject matter on the page. And you had, while you were writing this book, you had this added thing of, you know, there's a global pandemic going on. So would you, is there any particular way that you feel you've changed as a writer or even as a person through the writing of this particular book at this particular time? Well, um, I've, I've written mostly fiction and short fiction. And in my head, the way to go was to write a novel. And I actually did attempt a novel manuscript. Um, I think what's happened with this book, with the process of writing this book, is that it's reoriented my writing brain to start looking at nonfiction with a new eye. Because I've always thought of nonfiction as essay, memoir, writing, drawing out personal experiences. And it's, um, it, it's now changed the way I look at the kind of things I want to write. Um, so for instance, I'm not focusing on fiction so much, but I want to develop the nonfiction aspect of it. Like for instance, like how you said, each, each state has, is, is worthy of its own book. And that's something that I want to do. This is in my head, this book is the start. And there are states in there that deserve greater detailing. Um, there are stories to be told in different formats, in audio formats, in video formats. Um, so I think nonfiction has, has occupied a greater part of my writing brain at the moment. Um, also children's books. Um, and there's a, it, it, there's a reason that children's books exist in this mix because it, it provides a nice contrast a nice balance to nonfiction. Um, the, the emotional heaviness of nonfiction, of history, of historical research, and then writing out that narrative, you're basically telling people's stories and struggles and hopes and ambitions. And children's writing um, has, has a beautiful sense of hope to it and a beautiful sense of innocence to it. And as a result, I found myself writing a lot of the book and children's work. Um, it, it became this really nice little balance. In fact, Vishal Bharatwaj, I think, does something similar where he makes a really commercial film and then he makes a very artistic film that he wants to, um, so as to sort of just clear the mind and um, go into your next project. So I think that's, that's how it's changed me as a writer to, to start looking at the stories that have already happened around us and finding stories that have not been told um, to the larger public and finding new engaging ways of telling those stories and also jumping into children's work. That's fascinating, yeah. I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying, but I, I just hadn't thought of it that way. And, and yes, it makes total sense that, you know, you're balancing out the heavier 
um, nonfiction with something else, which is still profound in its own way, but it's totally different. So yeah, that sounds great. Now, one, I have a few uh, closing questions here. What would you say, what are the main reader takeaways that you're hoping uh, for with this book when, when a reader finishes reading the book? I know I have my particular takeaways, which is that I need to know a lot more about some of these um, stories because I didn't know them before I read your book. Um, and I have a greater appreciation for what, uh, you know, what, what we would call nation building and for the politics and I mean, of course, we all know India is a very political country even now and very fairly divided, particularly in the last five years, but the, the, the individuals, there are so many individuals who were involved in all of this uh, state formation and nation building and so many prejudices and biases that came into play beyond, as you rightly said, it's not just about language. So what are some of the main reader takeaways you're hoping for? with the book? Um, I think what's going to happen when a reader picks up the book is they're going to turn to their state first. Uh, because like I'm assuming you wanted to read Gujarat first. Um, and yes, so, yes, I did turn to that first, yeah. <laughs> so I think the, the primary takeaway I want from the general reader, because this is, it's meant for easy reading, it's meant for a larger audience, because I think that every Indian needs to know the story of their state. So the primary takeaway I want is for them to read the story of the state that matters to them. Maybe it's the state they live in, maybe it's the state they grew up in. And then to finish that chapter and come away with a sense of satisfaction that the story has been well told. I have done justice to their state and a sense of greater knowledge and curiosity, knowledge about the state they've just read about and curiosity about, I wonder what was the, can I dig into that, that incident that he mentioned in the book? And so they, they dive in online to do greater reading on their own or curiosity about other states. Um, for instance, if you're traveling to Madhya Pradesh this weekend, then maybe you'd want to read about the history of Madhya Pradesh before you go there. I know that I, I tend to pick up books from the states that I travel to because I think it gives me a perspective on that state like nothing else especially if it's a translated work. Um, so I, I, I think that's, that's what I would like. Um, greater knowledge, curiosity, and a sense of satisfaction. Yeah, I do that too, what you just said at the end there, which is if I'm traveling to a particular state, and I did that a lot in, in, before the pandemic in India, um, is to go pick up a translated work by a writer from that state. Because like you said, I mean, there's nothing like getting that local color and um, cultural background in a way. So yeah, that's a great tip. Um, I'd, sorry, I'd also like readers to, I think, have a sense of the scale, like you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. the sense of the scale that goes into um, the creation of a state. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, and, and the journeys, some of these, some of these uh, struggles have been going on for decades before the state was created. Um, so yeah, I think that that sense of perspective of who I am in relation to this larger journey that's happened for the state, that's something yeah. I'd like. Yeah, and I mean, you, you talked about identity earlier, and I was just thinking about that, because I'd read a, an article recently about how 
sometimes, you know, we get so attached to particular identities, whether it's, you know, because of religion or language or state that we belong to. But what we don't always remember is how even that has evolved, right? All of that has evolved. And so when we get so attached to one particular identity as if it's this fixed idea in time, that's not really how it is or how it's been, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, and so what's next for you book-wise or writing-wise? Are you working on a children's work, like you said, or another nonfiction? Well, I've always got a bunch of children's books um, in my back pocket so that I can, I can work on it. Um, but what I'd really like to do as, as a large project is, is to be able to develop this book into a podcast. Um, and so sort of explored the audio formats and the video formats for this book. Um, I'd like to do podcasts, uh, web series. Um, so I think that's my 2022 plan is to explore those two formats for telling deeper stories from this book itself. Oh, that would be great. I can totally see that. And then you can have guests on who can, you know, speak to um, a lot of the history and the sources that you have behind it. I'd listen to that um, because, yeah, it'll be like almost like a continuation of the book. It's like, OK, you read the book, it, you know, it, it whet your appetite and here's more. So I think that that would be a great uh, way to go um, because, you know, there are different ways of telling stories. I always tell people you don't have to just tell stories through books. We come from such a great oral tradition or many great oral traditions in our country. And so there are many ways to tell stories and audio and video are also modern day technologies that we can use to tell stories. So that's great. I'm glad to hear that. And I, I wish you all the best for that particular goal. And I hope we'll, we'll hear more from that. Uh, and this is my last question that I ask everybody who's, who comes on, which is what's your favorite Desi book and why? And it can be, favorite I know is a very loaded and difficult word. So it can be something you recently read and enjoyed and it can be any genre, any language. Okay, um, I actually came prepared for this. I have two books that I absolutely want to recommend. One is um, by Gayatri Prabhu. Uh, she's written this memoir called, If I Had to Tell It Again. Um, Gayatri Prabhu is, is this writer who's in Manipal at the moment. She teaches at Manipal University. And um, I discovered her because I went for a writing workshop there and she was my facilitator. And I would read anything that Gayatri Prabhu writes. It, her, her word, her way with language is just unbelievable. And so if I had to tell it again, is, is a searing memoir, but I love the way she uses craft. Uh, she's just playing around with craft. So if you're a writer, I definitely recommend this book uh, just to understand what you can do with craft. Um, the other one is Boats on Land by Janice Pariyat. Um, again, she was, I just finished a writing workshop in Goa and she was my facilitator there, but that's not why I'm recommending this book. I'd read this book a couple of years ago and she tells this, this uh, it's a collection of short stories and it's mostly focused on Meghalaya and a little bit on Assam, but it tells the short stories across time. So you've got your first story in the mid 19th century, and then you've got your last story uh, 10 years ago. So across 150 years, 
you're seeing the evolution of a place, of its people, of their beliefs, of the stories that are coming out there. And um, I think it's if if you had to go to Meghalaya, this is one book I would recommend just to understand that region and that people, those people. So yeah, these are the two books. If I had to tell it again, a memoir by Gayatri Prabhu and Boats on Land, a collection of short stories by Janice Pariyat. I have both of those books. I'm glad you mentioned them. I actually got them when I was living in India um, from 2017 to 2020. And um, Janice's book, uh, Short Stories, because I my, my own book was a short story collection. Um, I, I thought, and, and I think she won, she won something from, was it the Yuva Puraskar or something for that book anyway? Yes. So she won yes. something and that's how I found out about her because again, the Northeast is not, we don't see as much representation in fiction. We do see more now, but I think when her book came out, we didn't see as many books situated in that part of the world. And so I was curious from that perspective. And then the Gayatri Prabhu book, I, I think is a great example too. Um, the, the, there was a nonfiction editor at Penguin at the time. She's, I think she's moved on to something else now. And she had sent me that book to review because I used to do book reviews for Scroll. I never got around to it for other reasons, but I still have the book. So um, great recommendations. Thank you for that, Minkit. Um, and I, I totally, oh, and that was another thing I was gonna say. One of the other things you could do, cause you mentioned this and I, I, I would love to see somebody do this, which is actually have a list of recommended books by contemporary writers, whether it's in translation or in Anglophone uh, writing by state. I mean, this could be like a companion thing for your for your book, you know, um, but I would love to have that. And I, I think if somebody wanted to put together just like by state, here is a list of, you know, notable books that you should be reading um, if, you know, fiction or nonfiction that you'd like to that, that will tell you more about this state. Uh, and I think you're right for Meghalaya, you know, Janice's book would uh, definitely um, fit in there very nicely. And then for the Northeast, you know, there are other writers like Aruni Kashyap, for example. So, yeah, great. Well, yeah, thank you. you. Just, and so, yeah, if you do choose to put that just, list together, please make sure you send it to me. So I've actually, my business idea is to open a bookshop that, hmm. that has only Indian books that are segregated by um, state so that you can walk in and be like, I want to learn, oh, look at all this. The, because India is not just one country, right? It's like yeah. multiple identities and languages and uh, stories. So walk into a bookshop and it's just India states books from all the various states. Oh, so, excellent. Yeah, I want to go more than just a list. I want to open a bookshop. Oh my gosh. Yes. Why, why not aim big, right? Why not? And I think that would be great. We need more bookshops for sure, because yeah, we need people to get out there and buying some of these important books. Thank you very much, Venka. This was a lovely conversation. I, I definitely appreciated you sharing both about your book's journey, as well as some of the important takeaways from the book and about your future projects. I'm very excited for them, you know, the podcast, TV and, and the bookshop. So very excited for those. And thank you again. Thank you, Jenny. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was, it was lovely to uh, discuss all of these topics. You asked such great questions. Thank you. You've been listening to episode 50 of Lacey Books. 
news and views about Desi literature from the world over. I'm your host, Jenny Butt. Thank you for tuning in. Today's Desi Craft Chat segment was with Venkat Srinivasan discussing his new book, The Origin Story of India's States. Episode 51 will be up shortly. Follow on Twitter at Books, Instagram at Books, Facebook at FB. Tag the accounts if you have requests or suggestions. Please go to the website if you'd like to sign up for the free weekly newsletter. That's daisybooks.co. And please share this interview on via social media if you like, and that way we can keep raising the tide of Daisy literature. Stay healthy, keep reading, and write well. <laughs>